I'll have what she's having. I love relationships. I love romantic comedies. I love love. We don't know what Cinderella looked like because she's not real. Yes, they freaking got it. Really earn that happily ever after at the end. Change the writing. It's not that hard. Hello, all you hopeful romantics. And welcome back to What She's Having, presented by Meet Cute, where a glass of rosé isn't required, but it's certainly encouraged. I'm your host, Ashley Eskew, and my guest today is the girl that my parents told me I should be more like. Of course, once you hear more about her, it'll make a lot of sense. Devin Daniels is the type of woman that doesn't really have dreams, she has inevitabilities. Since she was a child, this woman has said she was going to do something and then did it big. And her debut novel, Meet You in the Middle, is no exception. Devin has recently skyrocketed to fame as one of the next amazing romantic comedy writers by writing her Enemies to Lovers debut novel about a bipartisan relationship in Washington, D.C. People of equal parts praised and criticized Devin for giving us a look at politics through the lens of romantic comedies. I'm not here to tell you what to feel, but I am here to say that Devin is a brilliant writer who thinks deeply about everything she does. And I am so honored that she took the time to speak with me today. It is my pleasure to share with you Devin Daniels. How are ya? Can you have a cuter background? That is very inspiring to me. <laughs> oh, it's cuter because your book's right there. How does it feel to see something you created? It's weird, it's weird. It's like, I've been busy having kids for like 10 years, like a decade. You know, my oldest is 13. I wish people could have seen your face when you said that. A decade. I mean, I, I yeah, it's a, it's a new life. It's weird. <laughs> it's exciting. And you know, actually I have a, I have a meet cute story for the podcast, but it's really about how I would not exist without your parents. Wait, what? That your parents fixed up my parents. Did you know that? No. Yeah. Tell me. So I've heard this story many times, but you know, so my mom uh, transferred from Penn State to USC when she was a junior and, you know, she was a tridel at uh, Penn State and transferred into USC and of course was a tridel at USC and she met your mom. Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And my dad was, you know, fraternity brothers with your dad. Mm -hmm. And so I think those two somehow plotted to fix them up for like a day party or whatever they called it in those no. days. Yes. It was your parents. You wouldn't exist without my parents. That's crazy. I mean, they did well because your parents are notoriously a wonderful couple. My mom is a delight. And oh. you know what? Your mom is a delight. Yeah, she is. She's special. <laughs> <laughs> so much love. Yeah. There is a lot of love in my life and always has been. And I equal parts I'm so grateful for it and feel like sometimes I just don't understand it. So that's me, but what drew you to the romantic comedy world? What inside of you made you want to write a romance novel? So back in like, oh gosh, I don't know, 2016 or so, I, I basically like a few years back, maybe 10 years ago, I made like a bucket list. And on my bucket list was really want to try to write a book. And I've you know, always been a super avid reader, always, always just big nerd, just, I, you know, 
could read a book in two hours. Like I'm essentially a speed reader, but you know, when I went to college, I don't know why, but I never even really considered creative writing at USC. I was focused on stuff like the cinema program and the entertainment industry. And then um, as time went on and I, I just continued to do so much reading, you start to have this feeling like, well, can I write it better? You know, like you, you finish a book and you're like, I'm annoyed by this ending. Or, you know, I was so into it or this idea was so good, but like, I didn't love how it was executed or something like that. So I started to get this sort of nagging feeling in my head. Well, maybe you should put your money where your mouth is and try to actually write one and see how it goes. And so I literally wrote a list 10 years ago. It was like some, some things I wanted to try in my life, not knowing that, you know, if I was going to do it, you know, soon or like when I'm <laughs> 80, you know, who knows. And so I said to my husband in 2016, I'm like, I'm ready. I want to do it. I want to try to write a book. And he, he never, doesn't even bat an eyelash when I say things like this. He's like, totally, <laughs> you should totally do it. That's a good partner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so no hesitation from him. So at that point, I didn't even know what genre I was going to write. And I I read a lot of thrillers also. And so I thought I could do something like that. But then I decided, I got it in my head that I wanted to write a book that people would want to reread. Ooh, why was that the goal? What about people rereading a novel inspired you? I don't know. You get this feeling from a certain book that you just love so much. It's romances, of course, in particular, which is like, you're just so wrapped up in like this giddy, edge of your seat, angsty, warm and fuzzy feelings, right? And there's certain scenes where you're just like, oh my gosh, like the emotion is like so intense. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to write a romance novel because those are the ones that I reread and it makes people happy. And even when I think about movies as an example, the only movies I'm interested in watching again and again and again are, are rom-coms. Mm -hmm. That's it. And so I, I was like sort of followed that path and I thought, okay, I'm going to write a romance novel. And so I started to think about what are the romance novels that I love? And the ones that I love the most are enemies to lovers. And I thought, okay, so what are the real reasons that people are enemies? And at that time it was 2016, the election had just happened and all I was reading were these articles about how people were breaking up over the election results and who someone voted for and people were getting divorced over it. And all of a sudden it like connected with me. It was like a light bulb moment. Well, this would be a really interesting rom-com. No one's trying to, to take on this topic because it is so hard and it's really fraught. Yeah, you are brave. Yeah. <laughs> Truly. I didn't want to write the same book that I'd read a million times before. And I thought this is a big white space. No one's taken this on, but yet it has totally like permeated every part of our culture. And it's so interesting to me. I was reading these articles about how um, these dating apps, which again, you know, I've been married now for 15 years. So I was, I never had to use a dating app, but like how people are filtering out people who are members of the opposite political party from who they will even consider dating. And I thought, well, this is super interesting because, you know, if I was part of this world, would I do the same? So I know that like when I'm asking myself, those questions, like I've got a really meaty, you know, topic that I can cover and I can really explore in a, in a unique way. With all the political controversy flying around, particularly at that time when you started writing, were you ever concerned about the marketability of this book? 50% of me thought no publisher will ever touch this book with a 10 foot pole. But then the other 50% of me was like, everyone's going to want this. <laughs> so it was great because I had total freedom. I wrote with just reckless abandon. I didn't worry about going too far. I just sort of put it all out there. Um, I truly wrote the book that I wanted to read when we went, when we took the book on submission, which, you know, basically means you're shopping it to publishers. I was very pleasantly surprised that they all wanted the book. So it was really a, a sort of a unicorn story. <laughs> I had a really positive experience. 
I love that you labeled yourself a unicorn. That's so beautiful. I also love that you gave yourself the freedom as an artist to not please other people. Yes. God, particularly as women growing up, pleasing people is a huge part of my identity. So to hear you say that, oh, fills me with such joy. Yeah. Something I didn't even think about in preparing this interview is you started writing this in 2016 and then you started selling it in 2019. It's now coming out in 2021. The climate has completely shifted in that time. I mean, and even how we identify, I think party affiliation became candidate affiliation and the divide kept on getting bigger and bigger. Did that affect your writing? Did you get any fears Mm -hmm. as you were writing this as the climate started to change? Some people hear the topic and they're scared. They're scared away. That has been a challenge for me is to try to explain to people, well, really it's a romance first and foremost. The political parts are really a backdrop. And I wrote the book very specifically so that people on both sides would be able to enjoy it and not get so angry about what they're reading that they're going to like slam the book closed and put it down. And I tested it with readers on both sides. And I kept, I always said to them, like, if there's something that is like over the line, that just makes you so mad, tell me, cause I'll, you know, that's where I'll pull back. Like, I'm going to go as far as I can, but I'll pull it back if I need to. And then the other thing I tried to do was the actual legislation issues that the two characters are working on, I made non-controversial. I wanted it to be legislation that no matter what side of the aisle you're on, you really can get behind. So Kate, the heroine, is is working on a childcare tax credit, basically childcare um, resources for, for parents. And he's working on taxes, you know, the, a tax plan that lowers taxes. I mean, I don't really know anyone who can, <laughs> who's going to speak out against either of those things. Well, I'm sure we can find. But my goal was for that for the reader to be able to root for both people and be able to set that aside as much as possible. But again, I tried to take all of the conversations, the dialogue, the issues from like a very centrist position. So I don't know, you can tell me if I succeeded or not. (laughs) No, especially as a first time novelist, this is your first novel out the gate. And I can't wait to hear more from you. What I was truly impressed by was your writing style, even more than the controversial subject matter. I was just like, Devin is so funny. She captured this voice (laughs) of a generation that I can really relate to, um, not only magnifying the struggles of dating in this world, but also... (laughs) Just your cultural references. You had Happy Gilmore in there. You had Tommy Boy. I so rarely (laughs) laugh out loud when I'm reading a novel and you really caught me off guard with some of these references. First of all, I love hearing that. I I will tell you, I worked so hard on the writing piece. And I think in romance novels, the ones that I personally gravitate to are ones that have writing that I say surprises and delights. And that means that it's very unique turns of phrase, writing that has a lot of imagery where you can really feel like you're in a room, um, a, a really amazing metaphors that make you laugh out loud, dialogue, like what you're what you're saying with, with like really on the nose pop culture references and banter that's really quick. When I write, I'm thinking very much in terms of like a movie, like I'm seeing it. What movie did this feel like to you? Oh, you know, yeah. One of my favorite movies is Sweet Home Alabama. It's quick. It's fast. Um, or like a Nancy Myers the queen. movie, you know, like a something's got to give. It's that back and forth that's just so quick and so sharp. For like a, for a true romantic comedy novel, I think there has to be multiple funny aspects. There needs to be funny writing, a funny voice in the person's head, funny situations, like really funny dialogue, but it, it is hard. It's really hard to write that way. I probably rewrote every sentence in the book a hundred times. And I, I used to say to my husband, like, no one is working as hard as me. There's no way, like no one 
could possibly be working like this hard on, on something. And I do think it pays off though in the, in the final product, like I will pick up the book and I get lost in it. Still, I have read this book thousands <laughs> of times at this point. I read it in a day. So <laughs> what you're saying is not unique to you. It's true. Andrew was like, are you, are you going to read that all day? And I was like, yeah, it's work. <laughs> Leave me alone. I called my mom and I was like, this book gets steamy. <laughs> I don't get physically excited when I watch a sex scene in TV or film, but reading this book, I was like shifting in my chair, having that moment. And you've now referred to it as a romantic comedy novel and a romance novel. What is the difference in those genres, especially today when sex is such a big part of dating and relationships? It's funny. I, I like to like tell people like your, your husbands will appreciate <laughs> this, this book. I heard from um, my friend's husband who read the book. He's like, is this what I'm missing in romance novels? And I said, yes, yes, you are. <laughs> um, and my poor mom cannot read it, which is also really funny. Well, she can't tell you she can read it. She can just read it in private. Please avoid chapters 23 and 30. And I don't want to hear about it. If you read it, uh, you just, I've, you've been warned. That's it. I know that ro the romance novels that I like, and for me, it's a slow burn where you get your like payoff at the end. And I think before I started writing, I'm not sure that I would have said that I would write what, what they call an open door romance or with steam or a sex scene or a love scene. Open door. Where does that come from? So there's, there's a lot of terms, okay, in the romance world and open door means you're, you're, you're part of it, right? You're seeing it. Oh, it's on the page. Then there's um, some that are called closed door or fade to black or it's happening off the page, right? So it picks up, you know, the next scene. Um, there's also like sweet or clean romance, which is typically more like a Christian romance, just it's off the page. So there's all this terminology, right? So, so I'm not sure that I would have said, oh, I, I'm definitely going to write open door romance. But then as I was writing, I thought, well, you know what? I like that in my romance novels because it, to me, it feels like something is missing from the story without it. I mean, that makes sense to me. You do have four kids. <laughs> I mean, I, I... <laughs> one of the things I wanted to do, because I don't love in romance novels when I read and it's just like description of body parts or like movement you know or action I actually want there to still be dialogue I want them to still be learning about each other in that scene I want there to be humor like if you skip it you will actually miss something <laughs> you will miss things I don't know I I like it to continue and, and further the story you know everyone can choose to sort of sort of write it the way that they want they can and I respect that I do have to say initially I almost censored myself and then I was like Ashley, what are you doing? This is an authentic representation of a relationship. Yeah. What we consume is how we inform our lives and how we're building our identity before we experience things. And I think it's really important that it exists, yeah. especially in a healthy way. There's not an unhealthy dynamic. Yes. To have equal sex representation is so important. Really, the, the romance community and romance writers are absolutely at the forefront of talking about a lot of these issues like consent or even yeah, what a healthy relationship looks like or what an unhealthy relationship might look like. And when you see that represented in these stories and you're sort of like, oh, <laughs> I, you know, I've had something like that happen in my life or, you know, you really see yourself in these characters and, and you're able to sort of play out, well, this is actually what I would want 
a man to how he, I would want him to behave, or maybe the opposite. This is not how I would want my relationship to go. I mean, really you can find a romance novel for any situation and represent any, any possible relationship you could have. But I, I know like the stories that I like, which is where you have a strong conflict. I also like a really strong heroine, someone who is, you know, smart, hardworking, powerful in her own right doesn't need a man, but a man, you know, is a nice, a nice piece of her life. And, you know, where you where as a reader, you really earn that happily ever after at the end. Yeah, I think you accomplished that. I am curious because it's a Republican Democrat romance. How did you assign gender to those parties? That's a great question. You know, what's interesting is it's data. So I did a ton of research about bipartisan relationships. What's the statistics around how many people are actually in bipartisan relationships? Um, how do people make it work? And the interesting thing was there used to be, of course, I think this people wouldn't know this, is that there used to be more bipartisan relationships than there are today. That number is like steadily decreasing. But of the people who are in bipartisan relationships, it's actually more than double the amount of female Democrat and male Republican. So to me, that it only made sense to make my story reflect sort of the actual state of the world <laughs> as closely as I could. I really wanted it to feel realistic. Um, and even if you're not in a across the aisle romance of your own, and I look at like, for example, my, my relationship with my husband, we don't agree on everything. Even if we vote for the same candidate, we don't agree on everything. We have different feelings on issues, you know, different, you know, life experiences that have led you to, to feel the way you do about certain issues. And so the idea that you're just going to agree with everything with your partner or your spouse is totally unrealistic. I look at, you know, this book is, is using politics as a backdrop, but that could be anything. It could be family. It could be culture. You know, it, it's, it's how do you communicate as a couple? How do you bridge that divide? I think those lessons go b- way beyond politics. Oh, absolutely. I mean, just where you're born. Yeah. Has... <laughs> yeah. We were born on two different coasts, my partner Same. and I, and that can bring up a lot of conflict. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a totally different upbringing, you know, totally different family, you know, style parenting styles. Like it's, I don't know anyone who hasn't had to navigate, you know, issues like that. Do you have a lot of mixed political conflict in your life that inspired you to write this? Yes and no. You know, when we met, I would say we were definitely more divergent than we are today. I used to worry, well, if I meet someone who thinks really differently on this issue or that issue, well, how will we teach our children? And I made sure to put that line in the book, you know, now that I'm actually in it, 15 years in, four kids, those fears for me are totally, were totally unfounded. But I think, (laughs) I think that you don't know, right? You don't know. And you think like, well, I'm going to try to take out all the possible obstacles in a, in my relationship or in my future. And you just, you can't do that. <laughs> that doesn't work that way. So if you have a, if you start from a place of like mutual respect, respectful discussion, respectful disagreement, really good communication, respecting the other person, where they come from, it, it, to me like that, that really solves all these issues. I think we're all struggling with it in some capacity of our lives. Mm-hmm. It may not be your spouse or partner, but it's someone at your dinner table. And especially in a time when we're so hungry for connection and we're feeling so separated, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's hard to not ask about. That's right. 
So you reference in the book a lot of actual political legislation. You reference the confirmation of a Supreme Court nominee that we can all infer who that was. That was rather (laughs) controversial. How do you think your protagonists would handle what we're going through now in this country with COVID-19? Yeah. Do you think their relationship would survive, first of all, the choices on both sides of the aisle? And even, I mean, the storming of the Capitol, I know that's affected how your book's even been received. There's a lot that's come up. I would hope that the way that I left them at the end, where they basically decided, you know, that despite, um, you know, being on in opposite parties, that they're members of the same team together. And that was one thing I was actually very focused on in the book was that I did, I was not going to make either character change parties. You are allowed to feel this way and vote this way. And so is this other person. And you can still make a relationship work despite that. And there's many, many, there are many couples out there who are doing just that. And I think a lot of people just don't understand these couples. And so they feel some, at least some of these women from what, from talking to them really feel like they are judged uh, almost, um, or maybe not, not as accepted or, or sort of looked down upon or sort of, you know, little comments about how can you, (laughs) so I really, um, think it's awesome to be able to give a voice and to show those relationships in a positive light, which frankly, uh, if you can make that relationship work and still respect each other, like we all have a lot to learn from that. That's my opinion. (laughs) I want to know when you first got the call that your dream was becoming a reality and you would be a published author, what feelings were going through your head? Oh, it makes me emotional to even like talk about it. Now I had a, I had a very unique experience with this book. First of all, the hardest, one of the hardest parts is just getting an agent to begin with. That's like a huge piece of this puzzle. And, you know, agents basically act as gatekeepers. Like you're, you're not able to submit your book to a traditional publisher. The agent has to do that. So you have to get an agent to take a chance on you. And I was so lucky to have gotten literally my number one choice of an agent, which I still can't really believe it worked out that way. Would I have a book in front of me if she had not offered to represent me that day? It's, you know, strange to think about. Knowing you probably though, you seem to make <laughs> things happen. <laughs> I, I, I do. I don't really take no for an answer. Probably within, oh gosh, probably was two or three months of, of when I signed with her that the book went on submission. And it was so strange, Ashley. It was like overnight, overnight had responses from editors at these publishers. And it was so overwhelming for me. If you are a writer in this, in this industry, you've just heard nothing but horror stories, right? Like you can't find an agent, or if you do find an agent, you go on submission and you, you never get an offer. You'd never get anywhere. People are on submission for more than a year. Like I just never really had expectations necessarily. And the way that it turned out for me was just really unbelievable. The book went to auction, you know, which basically is the most exciting thing that could ever happen to you as a writer. (laughs) And, um, I happened to be in California at the time with my kids who I had, uh, I had taken them out there for, um, junior lifeguards. Remember junior lifeguards? Oh my God. Yeah, of course. (laughs) It's a rite of passage. Yeah. yeah. And so I was staying at my parents' house. To be able to share that with them was also just like such a special thing for me. There was so much excitement. It was like we were constantly checking emails, constantly texting. And the auction went on for multiple days. You know, we went out for, my parents took me out for like a celebratory dinner. And it was just really um, surreal. And everyone in my life was just so excited about it. And I think it's because, you know, do you really know anyone who's like, written a book and like, is going to have a published book. I mean, no, like, no, you know, it's, it's so unique. 
week and everyone was just so happy that it made it 10 times better. The whole experience to have so many people around me. That was such a fun time for me, July, 2019, <laughs> such an exciting, like red letter time in my life. And so I look back on it with just total, total joy. <laughs> well then what's next? In July of 2019, I signed a three book contract currently working on book two and uh, book two is hard. Um, but it, it, but it's good. I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. <laughs> As you break out into tears. <laughs> it's just also a different experience. You know, when I was writing Meet You in the Middle, it was like my husband said, it was like an obsession. I like wanted to work on it all the time. I like was staying up half the night working on it. And I was working on it in bits and snatches, like a, you know, in carpool line or like when the kids were at soccer practice. And, you know, it was totally fun. It was just a passion project. It was a personal challenge that I had set for myself. I was writing with no, you know, no boss, no, no expectations. And that's a really unique experience that I look back on with like so much joy. And it's a different experience when you have readers, like I'm, li I'm literally getting many messages a day, like, when is your book two? And, um, you know, the pressure is, is real. So, so I try not to get worked up about the pressure, but of course I wish I was like working faster. The book two um, concept, I would say it's kind of like an ode to all the women in my life. Oh, I love writing characters that I have personal relationships to in the fictional and actual world. <laughs> when you were writing Meet You in the Middle, since your characters were fictional, did you have any film or television stars in your head helping you color your characters? Yeah. So I, when I started out, I actually wasn't thinking about particular people. And I, I only learned later that most writers actually do start with like a picture in their head. That's what I do. Yeah. So about halfway through, um, for Ben, I, uh, came up with Henry Cavill. So, you know, Ben is a really big guy. Yeah. So I, I needed like a really big, uh, muscular guy. So Henry Cavill was my guy. I struggled more with Kate and I sort of thought of her as like a cross between a Reese Witherspoon and like a Blake Lively, like someone who's got that Southern spunkiness and also kind of just like a, um, a sort of a badass. <laughs> you know, takes no crap kind of uh, personality. I just kept on picturing you because I know you have the <laughs> same hair. You know, the funny thing was I, I actually dabbled in a different story before I started writing this one. And that character had brown hair. She was a brunette. And so then when I started writing this one, I just was like, okay, I'll make her a blonde. It's like, so my, my next um, book, uh, she's redhead, you know, like, I'm like, I'm not that creative, you guys, like, I <laughs> just been rolling through, you know, all the different hair, then I'll, then I'll go curly, and then I'll go black, you know, black hair, and then, like, you know, then we'll start over again. Yeah, so it's not me. But then, of course, people are like, she, the cover looks just like you. <laughs> I swear, I wasn't writing myself. <laughs> It sounds like so much, I mean, of you and your heart and your time and your family went into this book. Oh, I, yes. You know, it's hard. You get so much praise for this book, but I see there's some criticism there. <laughs> and, and it's definitely a reflection of our time because none of it, it's about your writing style. Actually, a lot of your criticism praises your writing, which I yes. think is a coup. That's a nice thing. Yes. How do you take that in when this is such a personal enterprise? So um, the way that that all kind of has uh, went down was that, you know, I, I did this deal for the book in July of 2019. And then a big like red letter day in the life of a writer is the day you announce your book deal. And that happened for me in October of 2019. So a few months later, and almost instantly, I experienced a lot of backlash, social media, bullying, 
just general nastiness, trolling, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's really unfortunate that the book world has that. <laughs> I don't know if I, this is my first experience with it. And that was challenging because I don't believe in, you know, engaging with that kind of nonsensical, just nasty online behavior in my world. Like I don't even give that really any thought or any of my time or energy. How do you do that? I'm so impressed. <laughs> you know, I'm too busy. Honestly, Ashley, I'm too busy. I've got four kids. I've got books to write. These people hadn't read my book. They, I guess, were angry or are angry about the idea of people getting along because hating each other, I think, is working out real great <laughs> for us. Fair enough. So I, you know, I I take heart in the fact none of these people had actually read the book. They were just reacting to, I don't know, I guess their own personal feelings about politics. But the unfortunate thing was I had to wait such a long time for my book to actually come out. So, that, you know, keep in mind that was starting in October of 2019. So I dealt with about a year and a half of really gross, you know, online behavior. And I knew though, that once the book came out, it would be a totally different story and it has. And so it's been about one month, actually about exactly since the book has come out. And I just get the most incredible, kind, very moving messages from people. And my favorite thing to hear is that people say like, I immediately started rereading it the second that I finished it. That was your goal. So I, I also love some people say like, it actually made them examine their own behavior and how they treat others. I mean, it's like all the stuff that I sort of dreamed of um, coming across really has. It's really just such a great feeling. I tell my husband, like I get these messages, just an instant like mood boost every time, like a shot of serotonin. Oh. Devin, I am so proud of you. I am so excited for you. I cannot wait for what's next. Before we go, I have one question I ask every guest. Yeah. What is the greatest act of love you've ever witnessed? Oh my, I need a, I, I need more prep, prep time for this. Um, Spoken like a writer. <laughs> <laughs> so my sister has had some challenges in the past few years with um, health issues with people in her family. And my mom has just absolutely dropped everything in her sort of retiree lifestyle <laughs> to help my sister. She's, she's like a full-time nanny for my sister. She's, you know, not just a grandma. She's 24-7 available to help my sister, the variety of, you know, challenges that she's experienced. And to me, to be able to just so selflessly give up your own, basically your own life for, for your child or anyone in your life is the greatest act of love, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. This was so much fun. Oh my God. We loved having you. <laughs> I will come back anytime. Yeah. Come back with your next book. Yes, I will. I will. Ah, oh, Devin Daniels, thank you so much for coming today. It's always so fun when someone's brain works four times as fast as yours, which is difficult with me because I speak twice as fast as anyone else and think at the pace of three times anyone else. So you are just a wonder. Devin and I spoke today about her book, Meet You in the Middle, which you can find on Amazon, at Target, at a bookstore that possibly is still open in your neighborhood. Oh, 
Gosh, I hope that is true. Um, also, you can find her on Audible. Listen to her book, read her book, consume her book, and then let us know what you thought about it. Today, Devin and I brought up a bunch of comedies and romantic comedies. If you want to watch them, we talked about Happy Gilmore, Tommy Boy, a classic, inarguable, Sweet Home Alabama with Reese Witherspoon, Something's Gotta Give by Nancy Myers. And if you're looking for a meet cute podcast, there is actually an enemies to lovers bipartisan love story called Middle Ground. Thank you all so much for listening today. Um, a few admissions, just so it didn't seem like I lied. I was never a junior lifeguard. I know what it is. I never did it. I never wanted to be a teenager in a bathing suit around other teenagers in a bathing suit. You had to jump off a pier very early in the morning into very cold water. I am far too much a dork for that. I was singing music theater songs while everyone else was getting a tan and being active. But more power to all those people that did it. As always, if you like this episode, please rate and subscribe us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, concerns, comments, meet cute love stories, please DM us at meet cute on Instagram or listen meet cute on Twitter. Oh, this has been such a fun episode. I can't wait until next week. I'm Ashley Eskew and I'll have what she's having.